Very excited to talk to you today. Cool, cool. I'm very excited to talk to you as well. Thank you for joining us. I'm using a new platform to see if it works better because Facebook's been kind of iffy giving me feedback when I'm interviewing. So mm -hmm. I decided to jump into the Zoom world. Okay, good. I can flow with you as they say. All right, let's go. Well, again, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Just had a grueling uh, session writing before I came on to the show. So nice. I'm still kind of in a writer's mode here. So okay. but I am here. I'm ready to talk to you and just uh, get the party started, as they say. All right. Now, hopefully that means that the flow is just there. If you were in a grueling um, flow already. Yeah, it was there, but I was in a different time period because I tend to write a lot of historical romance. So I was in a different time period. So I, I had to come back to 2020. And who wants to do that? I know, right? <laughs> well, Parker, let's get to it. Tell the audience your name, where you're from, and what name you write under, or if you use a pen name, why you chose it. Okay. So I'm Parker J. Cole. I write as Parker J. Cole, and I write historical romantic fiction. I also write speculative fiction under my pen name, Parker Payne, which is a tribute to my grandmother. Um, I also am in the faith-based community, so a lot of my stuff has a lot of faith-based components in it, particularly referring to Christianity. Uh, I've been doing that now since 2010, and it's been a wild ride. And I also have a podcast where I showcase Christian authors all over the world. Nice. Very nice. So historical romance fiction. I love it. I love it. Now, you said that you began writing in um, 2010. Why did you start then? Well, I should back up and say I've always written and I've always been a writer. I always knew that's what I wanted to be. But 2010 was the year that I lost my job and I had been working on a story since I was in high school. And I finally got tired of seeing that story on the computer. And I said, you know what? I'm tired of looking at you on this computer. I want you out there to the world. And so in 2010, having lost my job, having started my own small business that I ran at the time for about four years, I was about to say, you know what? Stop making it a wish and turn it into reality. So that's what I did. I ended up getting with a vanity publishing company, Vanity Press, and the Vanity Press, I paid a huge chunk of money and we ended up publishing my book. And I have a lot to say about Vanity Presses, but I won't talk about that right now. <laughs> wow, that was a mouthful, but congrats that you took one hit and didn't take that one door closing as that being the end. And, you know, they say when one door closes, another one opens and you made a wish into a reality. That's awesome. Congratulations on taking that leap. That's really cool. Now, um, you mentioned that you, when you first started that you uh, worked with Vanity Press. So are you an independent author, self-published, or are you still with an agency? What's going on? 
I'm what you call a hybrid author. And so I have self-published works as well as I have traditionally published works. I have an agent that I work with. And I do that because I think it's a nice place to be. Some people have a hard time working with self-publishing in general. Self-publishing is all you centered, you focused. So you are really responsible for the success of your writing career. You have to put in a lot of work. You have to get it edited. You have to design the cover or get someone to design it for you. You have to do the marketing. And it's a very daunting task. And self-publishing is extremely difficult, but it doesn't have to be if you work with a network of other people who self-publish. And so I have that network. But then I also enjoy the freedom you have with a traditional publisher because they do take some of that stress off of you as an author. They may help you with promotion, help you with platforming. But I should say that the promotion and things of the past years before Amazon came into being, those things have now lessened a great deal. A lot of traditional publishers nowadays are looking for people to promote on their own. And so even if they take on authors who who um, they take on, they have to have their own platform. They have to have their own followers. They have to have their own uh, strategy, if you will. That's why a lot of people have chosen to self-publish, which is interesting because we no longer need the top five publishers as our gatekeepers. We control our writing career as self-published authors. Nice. And um, I think you're probably the first author that I've worked with that would consider themselves a hybrid author. So um, I'm interested to see and hear more about that process and how it's helped you evolve as, a, as an author. One of the things that helps me to do is that you have your foot in both worlds because you do have the community of indie authors who all work together to help each other, but you also have the oversight that a traditional publisher gives you. They give you insight into your work when they send you edits, when they're helping you with the cover. They do know the market. They do understand that market. Now, we do understand that main big publishing houses are changing because they have to adapt to what Amazon, which I call the Zon, has given indie authors, which is a platform where we as indie authors have said, I don't need your validation any longer. I can create my own uh, brand and I don't need you for that. But I actually think one of the reasons why publishers are starting to get more authors as opposed to when the Zon first came out with ebook publishing is because it's so difficult. At any one time, thousands of books are published on the Zon every day, thousands of books. And so it makes it even that much harder to be seen. So you have a lot of small fish in an ocean and you're trying to get just your tribe of followers. You're not trying to get the whole ocean. You just right. want this section of the reef. And it's very difficult when you have thousands of fish in that same reef as you do. One of the reasons why indie authors are starting to actually go to traditional publishers is because they want help with that marketing. And then some indie authors, they get so discouraged that they stop writing. They said, I've done everything I'm supposed to do and it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. And I would say to that indie author out there who is discouraged, keep doing it. All it takes is one person. It doesn't take a bunch of people, just 
one. And if you stop, you never know where in your journey of your writing success that you stopped at. I love to use the illustration of this man. God told the man to push the rock and he pushed the rock. He pushed, push, 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 push. And the guy, and the guy told the Lord, he said, you know what? I've been pushing this rock for a long time. It hasn't moved. And God said, I didn't tell you to move the rock. I told you to push. He said, because when you're pushing, guess what happened? Your muscles got stronger. You're able to handle more weight. You're starting to do this and learn all these different things. And I love that because we want instant gratification when we forget that hard work pays off on its own. Learning to go with the dream when no one else is going with the dream with you. I'm coming from a place of experience. That's why I can say these things. That's why I try to inspire other authors. They always say, oh, I want to write a book, Parker. Oh, I want to write a book, Parker. Guess what? You can. You just aren't doing it. <laughs> That's the difference. I see. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, um, please tell us what is the name of the book that you're currently uh, promoting and what's it about? This book is called The Butterscotch Bride. It is a prequel standalone book for another release coming out in January. This is what I will call my Gone with the Wind. And I read Gone with the Wind when I was in high school. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's fallen out of favor due to a lot of the racial tensions going on in the U.S., particularly today, and being felt across the world. But I still love the story. I love the whole idea of it. It's very, you know, it's, it's, it's romance. So I right. said, what if I wrote my own version of Gone with the Wind, but coming from an enslaved point of view? Mm -hmm. And then as I was doing the research, I didn't want to keep writing a story of slave masters being horrible to their slave, to slaves. Because as I was doing research into slavery, not every single story has this antagonistic dynamic between slave owner and slave. There mm -hmm. were those who I would call benevolent slave owners. And what I mean by benevolent, benevolent they didn't do like some of the others did and this is extremely important when it comes to understanding the very complex racial tensions that are in the U.S. People outside of the U.S. when they look at it like wow why is it such a big deal I said because you don't understand just how complex racial tensions are they span over hundreds of years mm -hmm. and right now we're in a very exciting time Time. That's also quite painful because old hurts are coming to the forefront. Wounds are being triggered. Pus is coming out. Mm -hmm. But that means healing is on the horizon. It's going to hurt. When you put alcohol on a sore, it is going to hurt. Mm -hmm. So with this mindset, I wanted to use the butterscotch bride to kind of show the complexity of what our racial tension history is. So yeah. I did that. But as I was researching, it was so depressing, particularly for African-American women. It was so depressing. One of the things that was interesting was that their bodies were not their own. Mm -hmm. So they could be sold into slavery. And when they needed to be men, they can work like a man. But oh, when they wanted to, them to be women, they were women and horrifically so. They were raped, their children were not their own. And then they had to fight off the men. Sometimes they were bred, they were sold. So it was this really depressing story. And so I wanted to take a character that did not experience that. Because at the end of the day, I wanted to use that symbolically as someone who is the future. Imagine someone who doesn't have to deal with that. And in actuality, that's us. We don't have to have the same trauma that our ancestors who are African-Americans 
dealt with. But I also wanted to explore that not every white person had it out for black people either. Not every whatever had it out for them either. Okay, so, so because of that, I wanted to show a very interesting dynamic. And so the story centers around a young woman named Permalia, and she is her mistress's favorite. And then the romance part of it comes with a, a runner, a guy who's run twice. His name is Horace. And they meet. So he's experienced the horrible side of slavery. You know, he's been hurt, abused, beat, stuff like that. She never has. And there's this resentment he has towards her. But at the same time, he doesn't want that to change for her. It's almost like he's happy that she has never had these experiences. And so that's why their paths meet in this story. And, you know, I had the opportunity to um, complete the reading of the book. Oh, you read it? Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't think you did. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I sure did, Parker. And, you know, it, and it, it was the first time in a long time that I did read a story that was entrenched in, enthralled in slavery. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't angry after mm-hmm. reading. And I think that's the importance of people who look like me and you telling our stories and changing the dynamics of the narratives that are put out there that yes there's tons of hurt and yes there's healing that needs to occur but there's more than one way to tell a story and exactly i think that you you captured that very well i'm glad to uh, hear that it was something i was really worried about because when I was reading about it, I said, I don't always want to focus on the struggle. I want to focus on strength. I don't always want to focus on being a victim. I want to focus on being a victor. I don't always want to focus on the pain. I want to focus on the fact that I'm stronger because of the pain, which is why I used the illustration about the guy told the guy to push the rock. He didn't say move it, you know, and I think we're so caught up in the past that we're forgetting that we are overcomers, that we can't succeed. And as I was reading this, and I'm reading this from the 21st century, I can't think of how many people died and lived horrible lives. So we're here. And so that's progress. It may not seem like progress because right now we're all emotionally reactive to so many horrible things happen. But I said, do you want to remain in the past or do you want to go into the future? But at the same token, you can't go into the future unless you acknowledge the past. And so that's why these conversations, I know we're talking about the book, but it's overarching is that these conversations are difficult. They're hard. I've had a number of Caucasian friends come to me and they ask me, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. (laughs) You know, there is no such thing as a monolithic black mind. (laughs) There's no such thing as that. We all have our different experiences. I remember at church, this one young lady, she said, you know, there's always this um, couplet, all black people know how to sing. And she was like, no, no. (laughs) I don't know how to sing. And then she was like, there's another couplet, all black people have rhythm. She was like, no. No, that's not me. <laughs> so she, and so you, when you understand that, that the problem is that you have to see me as a human being. Yeah. Once you see me as a human being, then you understand that as a human being, I have rights. I have the right to do what I want to do without having you police me. And that is where the 
breakthrough will come in at when you start to see people as human beings who are individuals. I hope I'm not going too off topic, Tracy. No, that's, I, that's why I told you, you know, the conversation will flow where it needs to flow. And that, and in this moment, that's what's needed to be said. And I mean, especially in the times that we are living and I think about my children and um, that's one of the topics that comes up in the Butterscotch Bride in bringing children into this world. However, I have the power along with my husband to help them understand how they can be successful, how we can continue and have a family legacy despite the struggles we will deal with. We will yeah. experience struggles, but I have the power to show them a better way. And as they grow and they add to our legacy, they'll find even better ways later on in life. So it's, it's important to have the discussion. I think it's important too, to piggyback what you said about having a legacy. And that legacy is the legacy you create. What do you want to send down to your children? Today, I put a post out on a Christian speculative fiction blog called Speculative Faith. And I talked about my granny because her birthday is Sunday. It should be 90 years old. And she was the one who gave me a legacy of creativity and imagination. She used to watch tons of horror films. She liked it. And then she watched sci-fi, which is why I'm a Star Trek fan. And she gave me Jesus. Okay. So she gave me all these things. That's her legacy to me. And it's important to determine, yes, we have a cultural legacy that we carry with us, but we can always break from that and create our own legacy. We can create our own uh, avenue of success. We can do that. We don't need anyone else to teach us that. We can do it on our own. And understanding that is what is key to helping us break out of strongholds that we have. So when you were mentioning that, I commend you that you're saying, you know, we have this legacy. We got to deal with, you know, being African-American, dealing with all these things, but we don't have to stay there and I know your husband I went to school with your husband so it's uh funny is what's funny is if you went to school with my husband you went to school with me too because I went to King too (laughs) I can't remember it's funny because you would think I remember all these people and then when I went to the reunion I was like who's that (laughs) you know and come out and you're in you got you all's year I was in the year under so so okay, we're good then. That, okay, we're good. <laughs> Plus, you know, I was quiet. I was I was not the popular kid. So Oh, me either. I was me in that either. In, between, I, in that, you know, that in between, not totally unknown, but not at the higher end either. So But I think Charlie and I was Barber Magnet. Oh, okay. To Barber. Yeah. I knew him from Barber. Okay. And uh yeah, I think yeah. Yeah, cause I remember him from Barbara, yeah. And I'm trying to, you know how you like, okay, and I know what he looks like now and what he looks like then. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's him. Right. So, yeah, but that's fine. I'm sorry, totally went off. So go ahead. Right, right. No, but um, that kind of leads into the next question. We kind of covered it, but just to be certain, what was the total inspiration in writing this book? Well, the inspiration was that I never truly intended on writing this book. The book that's coming out in January was the story I was working on. And just so you know, I am what you call a pantser. I pants my stories. But lately, I have been plotting. And it's because the more I get into historical research, it's important to know different events that happen Mm -hmm. or dress 
customs, what have you. Mm -hmm. So I was plotting the story that's coming out in January. And I was plotting, I said, okay, who are her parents? And so her parents, I said, this, this, this. All of a sudden I was like, how did they get to, how does she get from there to here? And I'm going, and also it was flowing. So mind you, I'm on Mountain Dew and I'm sleepy. So there's a lot going on here. So I remember I wrote everything out and I went to sleep. When I woke up the next morning, it was like, you know, like four in the morning. I woke up, I was like, that's not bad. You know, <laughs> you know, that kind of looked like that's not bad. And their story really started to expand. And all of a sudden I said, you know what? They want their story told. Like this story has to be told. And then as far as the title, a couple people asked me, why did you call it the Butterscotch Bride? And I said, at first, uh, I was using it to describe her skin color because another thing that has happened with um, African-Americans in literature, they're often says black, brown, dark, you know? And I was like, we're all shades of the brown rainbow, you know? And we have very, very light to very, very dark and it's all beautiful. And I was, I wanted to use it to describe her skin tone, like a buttery brown butterscotch, you know? But then all of a sudden I started to look up the history of butterscotch and then more and more of the story came to me. I said, that's why she's a butterscotch bride. And so that's how the title came to be. So it wasn't my intention to write this book, but when I sketched out their daughter's story, which is coming up in January, I said, wow, their story has to be told too. Plus, I was really intrigued about writing a pre-Civil War romance with the enslaved as the protagonist of the story as opposed to the owners. And I was determined that I would have a Black Southern Belle in a Gone with the Wind gown. I was determined (laughs) that would happen. Like, this is going to happen. And I put that in the story. And I try to put in the right context. It would be, you know, where she would be, you know, frowned upon wearing, you know, white men's clothes or whatever. But I put it in there because I wanted one. So, (laughs) And you have the right to do so. (laughs) It's your story to tell. Now, um, the the experiences that you do retell, did any part of it come from any experience in your own life or of anyone that you love? I know it deals with slavery, but sometimes we can bring personal aspects into those retellings. Well, one of my ancestors was lynched back in the 40s, I want to say, and it was a well-known uh a well-publicized lynching that had happened. And we didn't find this out until about four years ago. Mm-hmm. And when we found that out, we were like, okay, who is this? And it was some kind of racial tensions, of course, that happened and he got lynched. And I started thinking about it when I was writing this story. I said, but we're still here. Our family line continues, right? And so in the story, Horace discovers things about his own lineage and he makes a determination that I'm still here. I can still keep going. It's still possible. And so it wasn't based off of anything personally that I experienced besides um, just having that antecedent in my family history of one of my ancestors being lynched. It's more so that I wanted to explore how even though we have this great pain that at the end of that role is going to come relief. So I think that was, that is what was more important to me, not necessarily having a personal uh, um, attrition to it. And, you know, um, with uh, Horace's um, story, I enjoyed it because the, the relief he received was something that could never be taken away. Exactly. And um, that's makes it even more important for me as a parent to ensure 
that what I'm instilling in my children is something that can never be taken away. And that, that there was amazing, especially once everything kind of comes together with Horace and the realization is made and all of that. Like it, it was refreshing to know that it wasn't tied to this specific, you know, materialistic item. I got to tell you too, another person that really inspired me with Horace was actually Chazik Bosman. You know, he recently passed away and the more I thought about it, I said, this man had cancer and he was kicking tail and he kept it to himself. He did not want pity. He did not want sorrow. He didn't want to be taking clocks and, and, you know, and I said, if he can do it, I have literally been inspired by that man. And I didn't know him from Adam. I mean, I knew him from Black Panther and exactly. other movies that he did. Exactly. And he was the my main crush in the movie. My main crush in the movie is Michael B. Jordan. So he wasn't even <laughs> my main crush in the movie. Um, you know, Killmonger. You know, that was, ooh. Yes. <laughs> I got to put my face back on because I love Michael B. Jordan. So anyway, so. Um, but he was just so inspiring that he kept pushing no matter what. And to see that and to see, especially when you find out, you mean he had cancer and he kept doing this and he had cancer while he was doing the movie. And I'm, you're just like, wow. And so I, I was really inspired by him too. So Horace kind of has some of that uh, attribute that Chadwick Bosman really had, even though we never knew it. We didn't know until after he died that, wow. And it kind of just makes you go, okay, what's my excuse? <laughs> yes. And you know, um, learning of his death was man it just hit so differently with me and then to once they gave a rundown of all the movies he completed after his diagnosis and into the last leg of his disease he didn't let anything stop him and while he didn't publicly let us know what he was going through I'm sure his close-knit network or family you know had that knowledge and they didn't try to stop him no. And he didn't let time limit him because, you know, in actuality, time isn't real. It's something that we've created to tie us to a schedule and all these other kind of things. But he knew regardless of how many seconds ticked away, he was going to make use of every single one of them. And mm -hmm. it's inspiring for us who feel like, oh, I can't do this. I don't have enough time or this is going on or that is going on. If this man can do it and he had a debilitating cancer, come on, just put a little effort in there. You'd be amazed at what you can accomplish. So I can, I, I love the fact that that was another inspiration in regards to Horace's character and to, you know, get out of here. Let's go. Let's get this done. One thing too, is that Horace has that desire to be free and that desire is real. It doesn't matter if it's slavery, like back in, um, like back in the day or if it's slavery now, we all have a desire to be free. And it's interesting that you mentioned time because time is a measurement of events. We use time to coordinate our schedules. If you don't, you can't just say, I'm going to sit here and do nothing because then that'll be boring. But, you know, but you use time to measure events and to do things. And when we want to do something, we will do something. If I want to, let's say I'm a sci-fi girl, so I want to binge on a sci-fi show, I am going to do it and I will use that time. But it's interesting because it's a balancing act. If I'm going to use my time here, I'm not going to do this. If I'm going to use my time here, I'm not going to do that. So I can have a situation where I say, well, I can't write today because I have something else to do. 
And I say this because I know people watching your show, they want to write. Mm -hmm. And what, like you said, you said time doesn't exist, then you have to make time to write. You really have to be determined. Again, I'm not coming from a vacuum. I'm coming from someone who knows what I'm talking about. When you take yourself seriously, mm-hmm. then you'll do it. Because it took 10 years for my first book to get published because I kept putting it off for whatever reason. And now I'm up to how many books I have now. I have a podcast show. I've done speaking engagements and workshops and things of that nature because I took time out and took myself seriously. So I'm saying that to encourage the authors watching this show. If you want to do what you want to do, then do it. It really is on you. And mind you, I could say that in writing, but when it comes to exercising, it's totally different. So, so, yeah, so no, that's right. a different conversation for another time. But Exactly, exactly. Now, uh, Parker, tell me, what was the hardest part of writing this, this prequel? I think the hardest part was making sure that I didn't make my characters one-dimensional because I was talking about such a complex time in history. But I didn't want to make my characters all victims and all victors. I didn't want to make my white characters just mean and one-dimensional. There is a character who is mean. And uh, my, my sister, when she read, she was like, oh, girl. You know, she was just like, I hate him, you know. But you need one. You need that one character in there. <laughs> that was the struggle, was balancing. I didn't want it to seem like, oh, they're just so nice slave owners. I didn't want to do that. But I wanted to make it more complex because there's one scene, I'm not doing a spoiler or anything. There's one scene where the slave owner says, there's an order here. It's always been this way. And that's the way it should continue. And he's not being quote unquote racist. This is what he's known. It's all he's known. This is what it's supposed to be. And then he's challenged by a family member. Like this isn't right. And so there's that complexity there. And during the the writing of it, I was doing a lot of research, and one of the reasons why the Civil War happened was that slavery was a really big deal, and people, there were so many people who were against it, and there were people who were like, you know what, just mind your business. That's basically what the the southern states were saying. Mind your business. We have our stuff here. This is what we do. We have our stuff. And so what started to happen is like the South, why they wanted to succeed was that state participation to the union was based off the state. So if I want to be in this union, which is US of A, if I'm being in this union, that's my decision, essentially. You can't make me stay here. And the union say, no, we're the union and you're going to stay. You see what I'm saying? So that's what started to happen. So South, when they came up with the compromise of um, 1850, where they said, okay, X, Y, and Z, you got to look it up. I can't remember right offhand, but they came with this compromise. And in the story, I make mention of that. She said, the compromise only delayed the war about 10 years. It only delayed it, but it was going to blow up. So it was trying to capture the essence of all these complexities in a romance story. I wanted to make it, you know, more focused on the romance of it. So Long story short, to answer your question, that was the hardest part. And, and I can see the difficulty in that because, unfortunately, the belief is that, you know, love couldn't be found during those times. Mm-hmm. But um, difficult situations can really bring people closer together and uh, a love can bloom into something 
so magnetic that it nothing can deny it from happening. So I can definitely understand the difficulty be just because slavery was horrible and, and yeah. it will always be horrible. And how can you bring something, you know, beautiful to a horrible story? And, um, yeah. you know, and that's, that's the interesting thing though. And see, that's the part I hope we as African-Americans who are descendants of this madness understand that there was love, though. Uh, I was doing research about slave marriages during this time, too. And some after emancipation, after during Reconstruction, um, some people wanted to make sure their marriages were legal. And marriage was an extremely important part of African-American culture after before enslavement after it it was extremely important i can't stress enough they were certain that this is my wife this is my kids and you can't take them away okay so marriage was extremely important but then what was interesting is that after emancipation and during reconstruction some people wanted to make sure their marriages were legit and so they would go through the laws and make a legal um proclamation others were nervous because they didn't know how the law would apply to them they say i'm married to her i may not have like a paper but i'm married to this person here and so marriage was extremely important to um the slave mind back then because they were being ripped apart you talk about families being ripped apart and you know one soul here one soul there like a cattle you know and so that's what i'm saying so that was the complexity of the story how do you show romance in such a horrible thing but the fact is that it bloomed mm -hmm. despite that even right. though, I, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Toni Morrison's Beloved. Mm -hmm. And I had to read a book for class when I was in high school. And there's a one scene where the guy looks at his wife because she has to go off to the master. And he uses her. He said he just wanted to kill her. He just wanted to kill her. Just kill me, kill her, and just end it. So imagine now that we're free, this is my wife and you have no right to her. You know, so it's very interesting navigating all that and that's why i say it's extremely complex mm -hmm. it's extremely complex and there is no easy one size fits all answer it's going to be a growing process absolutely now despite all of that was yeah. there any part of the book that was easy for you to write i gotta be honest with you the easy part was uh there there and what i mean by easy the fun part was discovering their love for each other mm -hmm. that was the fun part because they're two different people. And, uh, and I come from a school of thought that I like my men older than my girls in my <laughs> romances. I just, I just do. Maybe it's old school thinking, but that's just me. And uh, I like the fact that he, he desires her, but he's angry at her. I like uh, reading about the dresses of the time because I love, I love uh, costume dress. I love it, you know? Mm -hmm. And if I ever have like, one of my dreams to have like a, uh, costume ball birthday party and we all dressed in like old clothes from back in the day i'm totally doing it <laughs> totally doing it so and uh i like that part that was the fun part really you know giving that dynamic but then making it complex complicated with them too so it's not just the the the, the historical backdrop it's their their stuff too so that was the fun part you know and horace i, I should tell you a little secret with horace his name wasn't going to be that at all at first. That wasn't going to be his name. I killed with Horace because I was looking up names, Victorian names for the time period. And I looked up Horace and I saw a online forum say, Horace, how would you say Horace? Horace or Horace or something, you know? And it said, it's Horace like the Egyptian God. I was like, 
oh, they do sound the same. You know, you know, I was like, oh, that's awesome. That became like a plot point later yeah. on in the story, just a really yeah. quick plot point. So that's just fun. But that was the fun part. And I was like, this is my, my gone with the wind, but I want it from the slave point of view. And, and you may notice if people who read our books, you may notice most of my men are tall with beards. That's just something I, I can't help. <laughs> I, I can't, I love beards and people okay. know I have a, it's bad Tracy because nowadays I don't even look at a guy if I'm like walking down the street, unless he has like a beard, you know, <laughs> like, and I'm not talking Gandalf, you know, running the floor kind of beard. I mean, it's something bad. nice and trim. Yes, yes. It's, not, it's bad. And it's you bad. know, it's, it's funny because uh, when Charlie and I got together, he had a full beard. And I'm like, you know, I really don't like the full beard. I just like, you know, the little goatee or, you know, something like that. So he actually shaves it off down to the goatee. Mm-hmm. And then I looked See, at it and I was like, I, I think I like the beard. So he was, <laughs> he was so mad. Like, seriously, like I literally cut this off for you and you don't want it off. So yeah, I'm a beard girl. I don't, I don't know what happened. <laughs> And I had a friend, another author friend of mine, he had a nice long beard. It wasn't Gandalf though, but it was like really long, about probably like right there. And he said, my wife would divorce me if I ever got rid of it. <laughs> That's what she, you know, and I kind of like that. Some men respect that, that we, this is what we like. I mean, you can change your looks, your body, but I like beards. And uh, I was, I put on my Facebook one time. And someone said, hey, Parker. And they had like this guy with a beard, a meme or something. And it's like flowing in the wind behind him. <laughs> he's like, you like that beard? I was like, oh, gosh. But that is, and you know, as a raw author, you, you don't realize that you have certain patterns mm-hmm. to your writing until you start to write. People pick up on them. Right. I was like, oh, you know, like I recently, um, I, I, didn't, I had no idea. Because you're putting yourself in your books. That's what it is. You put things that you like in your books. So I'm trying to work on that a little bit you know like a little bit like all my most of my characters like do you <laughs> like most of my characters like tea I love tea mm-hmm. I love tea I don't drink coffee and mm-hmm. so I'll have them drink tea and someone say you know people like coffee <laughs> like they do you know <laughs> like, coffee's disgusting to me you know <laughs> right right now um did you learn anything from writing this book and if so what was it I learned that you can push yourself in an uncomfortable place because the book was uncomfortable to write. And there were a couple of times I said, maybe I shouldn't write this, you know, it's just, but I kept pushing. And I think as an author, you can grow when you deliberately put yourself in an uncomfortable position. And it doesn't have to be like slavery, but just even writes on your own ethnicity or writes out, you know, a new genre. Like I'm working on a um, horror novel and I've written horror before but now it's been a while since I've written it so I'm working on a horror novel I'm also working on a military sci-fi and uh something else I'm working on and putting yourself in a place of, of discomfort is good mm-hmm. because if you get too comfortable you think you've already hit the peak mm-hmm. and we want to constantly grow in this thing so it was a little uncomfortable for me I was probably a little bit more nervous than I was having my other books mm-hmm. because I was taking on such a challenging period with a challenging spin as well as a challenging way of doing things you know the other thing I learned really quickly um, was Uncle Tom's Cabin Uncle Tom's Cabin was a book I mentioned a couple times in the book during the 19th century, and I put this in the author notes so you can read it for yourself, it was the second best-selling book besides the Bible. Mm-hmm. 
that just lets you know how pervasive slavery was. And when the woman wrote it, she wrote it because she was humanizing Black people. Yeah, remember, they were called three-fifths of a person. So she was humanizing Black people. So Uncle Tom was a Christ figure in the book. When he dies at the end, he's a Christ figure. When they're showing his Christian faith, all this stuff. This is extremely important because now it's fallen into favor because it is responsible for stereotypes about African-Americans. You see what I'm saying? But at the time of the story, during this time period, people were reading it, especially in the UK. The UK had, had bought like a million copies of it because they were all, because the slavery had been abolished about eh, 20 years before we did. And so they were like, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so sick of these Americans. They're talking all this crud about bringing you're tired and you're hungry. And then they got slavery. You know, they were just going at it. So that was something else I learned. So that was the woke literature of the 19th century was Uncle Tom's Cabin. Again, it falls into favor because people change, ideas change, most change. You know, it would be interesting too, Tracy, if we look back now, what will, what will be will be considered really edgy now? What yeah. will it be 20 years from now? It's right. going to be real interesting. Hopefully we'll still be here. <laughs> you know, right. we'll still be here to see it, you know. That is an interesting thought yeah. um, to, to even consider, but I did yeah. notice that um, because I, I'm the type that reads cover to cover, like right. front to the back cover. I read every single page mm -hmm. and because every, the, every part of the book is important. And you learn things that you may not have caught while you were reading the story. And that's how you get various, you know, in different, different perspectives. And what, what I may have gotten out of reading your book, someone else may not have. And, and Correct. what you wanted us to get out of the book, I may have missed. But reading everything brings everything together. That's yeah. how I do it. Cover to cover. I want to read every single page. I always wonder if people read the author's note, because I read the author's note, because it's interesting to see what else the author wanted you to know. And then uh, I dedicated to two friends of mine, Sharon and Darren, and Darren, he lived in Alabama, and he, without going into too much detail, he had his own experience with an interracial couple, uh, coupling, and uh, he was really pivotal in helping me with this story as well. So I dedicated to them, because we met for, uh, we were in, um, we were in Detroit, so we went to uh, Plymouth. We went in Plymouth okay. and uh, we had a restaurant there and we just had the, the marvelous time. And so as my way of saying thank you to Darren, I made him a secondary character in mm. the book and okay. he was just tickled. His wife rather was just tickled pink. She was like, really? Oh, oh my gosh, Parker. Do that secondary character. <laughs> so he loved it. He loved it. Really? <laughs> he loved it. I don't know. I had like a, if it is who I think it is, I have a love hate relationship mm -hmm. with him. Mm -hmm. Um, if his name starts with an A, uh, but his role was important as well because that's part of our history that people were able to have a better life because of that. Mm -hmm. And yeah. while they were getting the better life, we don't know who pushed them to be more of their true self. Yeah, and, and things like I that. I like him too. I actually like him too. And it's he like, came. Okay. With Mountain Dew, again, I'm a Mountain Dew freak. And people are like, don't drink Mountain Dew. I know, I know it's horrible. I know, okay, I know. So I but I know it helps me think though. I can't help it. So, but with him, uh, his name is Alistair. With him, he, he, I didn't plan him at all. Like I did not plan Alistair. But I was thinking, and then I was like, who would marry this guy? And then it all came to me, you know. So I actually like him. He's like I said, he's a 
weird, interesting character. And he's so arrogant. And I met people like that, like, oh, I hate you, but I love you too, because at least you know where you stand with those type of people. No fake here. You know where you stand with them. Absolutely. Now we've discussed the Butterscotch Bride a lot. Is there a message that we haven't covered thus far that you want your readers to get out of it? Um, I don't really think so. I think I really uh, delve into the multi-layered book that I think it is. And I hope people, when they read, they enjoy it. They get a good story. I hope people uh, will be interested to know what happens with their daughter, which is coming out in January. And that's on pre-order right now. Getting, getting rave uh, uh, interest in that, which is a huge surprise. <laughs> um, so um, just, and um, that one's going to be a little different though, because it's part of a MAP. But uh, yeah, I don't really think there's anything else to add to it because I was a little nervous because again, it's talking about slavery is such a heavy topic. And so it dominates. I'm like, I don't want to dominate that too much. And so I really, I really want people to know that you can find love in difficult places. Mm-hmm. That's probably like the overarching theme and fight for it. And there are some things um, worth sacrificing for. I love it. Now, um, if you had to do it all over again, is there anything that you would change since you've released it? What I would change um, would probably be just adding um, one or two more scenes because I was reading it again recently. I said, I wonder if I should just expand a couple of things. But I figure if I do that, and I still can, you know, that's the nice thing about being an independent author, you can update the book when you get ready but I am thinking about just adding like two more scenes just to kind of flesh out one idea there was one thread I forgot to kind of close but you won't notice it I notice it but you won't notice it but I was like I need it because you know we're overly critical of ourselves and and whatnot and and everyone else would be like what is she because I'm I'm going through my head and like okay what could she possibly be talking about yeah I I know what it is I'm like I need to just like it's a re-release and I read it I'm like you know what? I could see that, but <laughs> I feel like the, the, what you presented was enough and it mm-hmm. drum, drums up enough interest in me to figure out, okay, how in the heck does this story connect with the, with the other story? Like, I want to know yeah. what, are, what are we about to delve into now? Because it takes place in the future. The next story is her daughter's story and that's called right. a groom for altar. And, uh, Alter, and it, it's not a spoiler or anything. Alter's pregnant, and her husband's dead. And basically, she's in this town, and the preacher of this town is saying all the women have to get married or they gotta leave because he's crazy. And she doesn't want to leave, so she writes for a groom. Wow, so that's the gist of the story. It's part of what's called an MAP, which is a multiple author project. So my book is book seven of this. Uh, I think so far we have like ten. Like we have ten books. Okay. The first five are out. The sixth one's coming out, came out today. Mine's coming out January. And so- Now, will I be of, lost if I don't read the- Oh, no, you won't be lost. They're all standalone. Because this is, yeah, they're all standalone. But okay. they're uh, all in the same town. They're all in the same town, so. Cool, cool, cool. So um, I, I know you're, you, you, you were talking about the Butterscotch Sprite and you have your next book that's coming out. How many books have you written? 30-something. Nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah, like 30-something. Okay, okay. No, I'm just thinking about like, oh, yeah, I have to like 30-something. And my goal next year is to write another 10. 
another 10. Yeah. Okay. I have some solo projects I'm working on. Um, and then I have a couple of, uh, traditional publishers are looking at a couple of my manuscripts, um, to, you know, keep that going. So I tell you what though, I love being a writer. This is what I was made to do. I love doing it. I love it. And you know, I love, I love writers because you'll read their work and you you have an opportunity to kind of get in their head and you're like man how did you even come up with that and then or if it's you know a a, a series and how are you going to connect these together or how are you going to resolve this or you look you're looking through you're like I don't, I don't have enough pages for you to wrap this up so i'm trying to understand how you about to do this <laughs> so that's the it's part fun it's <laughs> so much fun i remember i was uh, going to get my teeth i got a crown recently and I was going in an Uber guy because my car is jacked up. So I was going to Uber and I looked outside and I was looking at the fall. It was fall around that time. So the leaves are gorgeous. Michigan has the best fall foliage around. I, I will put up against Nebraska any day, any day. And so um, I was looking at the leaves, they were just gorgeous, you know. And one leaf, one tree had like red tips. All the leaves had red tips. And I looked at it and I was talking to the Uber driver. I said, you know what? That tree looks like it's dipped in blood. And the guy goes, wow. <laughs> he was just like, then he looked at himself. We had stopped like, I, I guess I can see it now that you said that. He was, I just see trees, you know. Right. And that's the fun part of being a writer. We will see a different context to anything around us. That's why there's that warning. Be careful, I'm a writer. Anything you may say may end up in a book. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Now, um, out of the 30-something books, do you have a favorite? The one that, and as it's a, when I wrote a few years ago, it was the first time I used writing as healing mm. because it was a very horrible year. It's 2015. It was a horrible year for me. Mm. And the book I wrote was called Vengeful Vows, which is book three of a series. And the book talked about this woman trying to get revenge on her ex-lover and her father. Mm. And so it was the first time I wrote to heal before I even wrote for enjoyment, mm -hmm. but it was the first time that all the emotions of that year were poured into this book. Mm -hmm. And it's actually one of my, it's my longest book actually it's over a hundred thousand words. And so I poured everything I experienced that year. I had lost, um, um, not, I didn't lose my job. I got into a car accident. I was having problems with my marriage. I was having problems at work. I was having problems with, some business relationships. I was in problems with friendships. I mean, everything was just going wrong. And the only way I would have survived was by writing it out. Mm -hmm. And that was when I understood the healing property of words. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I had, I took my, I just pulled my pen out. I have to write it down. Okay. That's my next book that I'm reading by you. Like I have to, well, but you said it's a series and it's the third one. So I have to read the other two first. But yeah. But <laughs> With the first one, that was my very first romance. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm the, sorry. <laughs> the difference about me, again, when I read a book, I don't read it to say, oh, it was good. It was bad. It was, I don't, I don't read for that reason. I read specifically to see what speaks to myself. And regardless of how poorly it was written, I can take something away from it. It's very hard for me not to be able to take anything out of reading a book. And that's why I read. It's my my stress reliever, how I cope yeah. 
and, and deal. So no uh, disclaimer needed. <laughs> I just felt like, you know, I'm going to say, you know what? I see your, I, I could see your growth. Like that could be the thing. If I, if I read something from earlier in your catalog compared to now, I can be like, wow, look at this. Like this is, I love it. So no disclaimer. That's fun. That's fun too. Even on my podcast, you know, I tell people, I say, you know what? People say, I'm going to go back and rewrite the book. No, I am done. That is the past. It is the past. It's going to stay there. I don't have time. Now, unless Steven Spielberg comes and goes, hey, Parker, we want to turn it into a movie. <laughs> then I'll go back. Okay, let me make sure this is. <laughs> I got you, boo. I got you. <laughs> I got absolutely, you, boo. absolutely. Now, um, I already know that. We, we've already covered what you're releasing as far as future books. Uh, 2021, we popping out 10. So we already know that. Now tell me what separates you from other authors in your genre? I've thought about that. I think what separates me is that I don't go the easy route. I like really complicated storylines. I like my characters to be more than one dimensional. And I try to come at it from a different aspect. Like one of the big deals right now is diversity in fiction, right? right. And so I refuse to only write from my own scope of, of experience. I write from others. And in my genre, I write sweet romance. That's like the genre, sweet romance, very sweet. Some of it, sometimes it's clean and wholesome, but I'm not really in the, I mean, I like clean and wholesome, but I don't really write clean, clean, wholesome. Like he just holds her hand and she goes, ah, you know, I don't do all that. So it's just like, you know, I kind of like a little edginess to it. Um, but I think it's because I try to always put a twist in there because a life is a twist, oh, absolutely. you know, plot twist coming right away. Like I never thought I'd be here, you know, plot twist. You know, you know what I'm saying? Plot twist, you know, not here with you, but just here in general, you know, like when I lost my job in 2010, that was a plot twist. And then it was the catalyst to me where I am now 10 years later. And when I quit my job last year, oh gosh, talk about relief. Okay. <laughs> talk about not dealing with crazy anymore. Okay. Plot twist, but it was for my good. So that's what I mean. So I think that's what makes me different is that people don't know what's coming. They go, oh, I never saw that coming didn't see the right. mile away right and 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 life certainly is about a plot twist and um, like even me being here in this in this uh capacity now i never would have thought i would venture into the virtual world it's so intimidating for me but in this last month i've done it multiple times and you know, in November into December and, and just learning how to navigate it and stop being fearful and go ahead and take that plot twist. And, you know, the, the, the growth I've seen by not holding on to, you know, the comfort level, get a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Like you said, that discomfort, it helps, it, you know, in your growing process. It's uncomfortable too. That's why it's discomfort because it's uncomfortable. Right. And I know for myself, I know what you're talking about. Cause when I've, started podcasting myself and I encourage you my sister to keep going don't let downloads don't let listeners be the catalyst to go because you're supposed to be doing it and seven years ago when I started this my own podcast I didn't know what I was doing <laughs> I have a clue what I was doing and if you were to listen to my older podcast to now you were like what did she say because I talk fast mm. you know and now uh, hopefully I've gotten better at my delivery gotten better at answering questions, gotten better at asking questions, enunciation, pronunciation, but it's not, it's not about perfection. It's right. not, it's about right. completion and getting it done. That's 
that's what it's about. Absolutely. That's one of the things um, Charlie would say to me when I first started um, my podcast. He's like, you sound like a robot. Like, where's the Tracy I know? And like, bring her out. And as, as I progress, you'll hear a little more life, a little more liveliness and variations and pitch, pace, modulation, all that stuff. And you get to see the silly me because I'm a total goofball and <laughs> all of that as I continue on this process and becoming more comfortable in just being me and not worrying about who listens, but to do it because I love to do it. Exactly. I know some podcasters, they pre-record, they edit because, but they have a particular content that they're providing. Like one guy, he does stories. So obviously he has to make it sound good. I interview people all the time. I interview people and have been doing that for a long time. And I enjoy every interview is a connection to another person. That's why I love doing it. And so I go on a free flow. I've had people on my show, Tracy, I had one guy, dogs barking. I had a guy, phone calls, drops, somebody's in their car. One lady was in the hospital. Like I can hear the nurse taking her blood pressure. I'm oh. like, we can do this later. Oh no, Parker. No, I'm like, no, we can do this later. You're in the <laughs> hospital. You know, you know what I mean? Like, it's okay. No. And you know, we did that show. It was a really good one too. <laughs> but, and I can hear the nurse go, okay, Miss So-and-so. And she, you know, <laughs> I'm like, and I'm, I'm sitting here going, we can do this later. <laughs> you know? But she was insistent. That's why I like doing live. That's why I love doing live because whatever happens, happens. Yeah. If I burp, if I cough, it's done. Right. I don't have to edit that out. So yeah. go for it, Tracy. Don't just keep going for it. Right. Be you, be organic. And I encourage you because we need to encourage each other. I encourage you, whatever your show is, do it. Be uncomfortable. The more uncomfortable you are, you're going to work past that till you're not uncomfortable anymore. Absolutely. Thank you. I, I truly appreciate that. Now, um, this is something I try to ask all the authors that I speak with. What is your experience in the writing community? In the romance community, which is a huge genre, mm -hmm. um, I've experienced it can be the sweet romance community could be extremely cutthroat. Um, it can be a lot of stuff behind the scenes that readers would never have any idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. But I also discovered within the community, it is extremely close to it. And we do support each other in romance. Romance is big for a reason. It's predominantly women who mm -hmm. write and read romance, but there are men too. And the community is out of sight. The community really is out of sight, particularly when you get plugged in. Like if they don't know you the first time, they don't know you, be like, okay, who's Parker? And that's what I experienced when I started writing um, in Sweet. Because before I wrote like Edgy, then I started writing Sweet. And someone said, you know, you get more followers in Sweet because they want those type of stories. And so um, when I started writing it in there, people didn't know who I was. And they were like, who's Parker? Can I trust her? And that's true. Can I trust that I'm going to enjoy her story, that she's not going to do whatever. And so I had to gain that trust. Mm -hmm. uh, I had another African-American author recently. She started writing in some of the MAPs, you know, networking. Mm -hmm. And she got some flack. I won't go into it, but she got right. some flack. And I said, well, you can either. She said, I don't think I want these readers. I said, you know what? It's up to you what you decide to do. Mm -hmm. I said, but if they don't know you, they're not going to respond to you. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like you got to kind of get to know who you are, but um, hopefully she'll keep at it. I hope she keeps at it, but they were kind of vile towards her one book. And uh, I said, wow, I never had that experience. But then I do remember not being known and the readers not knowing who I was. Mm 
mm-hmm. but the community when you're in, and it doesn't matter if it's white, black, Asian, whatever. I mean, the community itself is very close knit and we are very vocal. We are very outspoken. And I don't know if you remember about RWA, which is Romance Rise of America. There was a lot of hoopla going on about it and people were making fun of Romance Landia. I said, what happens in Romance Landia, you really need to pay attention to you really need to pay attention to because it's going to filter into other genres, you know? And so uh, that was fun. Again, vocal, open, honest, they go off. You know how women can do in general, you know, (laughs) what did you just say to me? And we'd be on Twitter. What? You know, so that's kind of like what happened. So it's an open community, very close knit, very supportive readers, share authors, authors, share readers, or should, I should say, there are those who think I can't tell you about my, my readers because you'll take my readers. I'm sorry. Readers mean more than one book. You know what I mean? Right. I read all, yeah. I read all sorts of romance. I don't read just sweet and clean. I read edgier. I read some steamy. The right. ones I don't read are like the ones that are really out there. You know, like I, I can't, no, that's not, no, you know, like I, I'm going to say it. I never read it. I just saw the the picture, dinosaur. That's all I'm gonna say. And I was just like, oh gosh, you know, <laughs> like this is a genre, you know, <laughs> you know. And I'm like people are reading this, you know. And I'm like, ooh, you know, I, I, like I I can suspend belief, but I can't suspend <laughs> dinosaurs. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I didn't. I just saw the cover, and I'm thinking oh, it was a joke, right? And it wasn't a joke, you know. And I'm saying, like oh my gosh you know like realize oh you're serious (laughs) right yeah your pearls you clutch your pearls oh my lord what are they doing (laughs) but that's like i don't read that but like i said i read all sorts of romance and i always let my listeners know because i have a my practice a christian podcast but i believe um in challenging what is christian fiction i challenge it you know it's not just almost fiction or just really safe fiction i don't think christian fiction is safe fiction i think it's should address all sorts of things and so uh people go well you were talking about this don't listen <laughs> you know what i mean you don't, don't listen it's okay so that i went i went off track tracy i'm so sorry i'm no, back you're good, you're good. good. it's okay hey i'm the same way <laughs> so it's okay all right so um that i i have you know, varying responses in regards to the uh, writing community, but it, it appears that, you know, there's two very diverse ends of the spectrum. And my hope is that, you know, we're closer to the, the good side um, of the spectrum when dealing with the writing community. Do you have any advice for any other writers uh, aspiring, who, the, the ones who are fearful, haven't went ahead and just put it out there, anything for us? Writing is a gift from God. I truly believe that. I think writers are born and they, that skill can be honed. If you don't write the story that's within you, who are you depriving of what you can give them? Mm. Let's say you want to write your memoirs. Some people have had an extremely hard life mm-hmm. and they want to write their memoirs because they want to encourage each other, but you're letting fear stop you. What if your memoir saved someone's life? Right. I have one lady who we're really good friends with and she, uh, her mother was um, killed before she even knew her. She was killed when she was 10 months old. Her father uh, burned her and sad story, but so many people were just uplifted by it. You know, Uh, on a lighter note, I had someone write a, I wrote my one story, the one I told you about, I wrote that one and it was my first one. And one of the things I deal with in that story is my sense of self-hatred because I've had that sense of self-hatred, you know? And the character experiences that too. And a woman said, I'm beautiful because God made beautiful. Mm. 
And that was something I've had huge problems with self-image, huge problems. I still do, you know. And what if your story, your truth that you've discovered about something, if you don't write that, who are you depriving of healing? Words are healing. They can be extremely healing. They can be very hard and cruel, and they can also be healing. So who are you depriving of that? Or maybe it's not even a message. Maybe you just want to tell a good story. Maybe you just want to say, you know, I'm on planet Pluton or whatever, and you're floating around with, you know, sentient fish or something like that. It doesn't matter. Whatever the story is, you need to tell that story. You are the only one who can tell it. You're the only one who can tell it. And you may say, well, nothing's new. Of course, nothing's new. It's all been written, but you may have a different spin to it Mm -hmm. because your experience is going to color that story. So just go ahead and write it. I love it. Wonderful advice to give. Um, I'm going to take it to heart. (laughs) Um, It's a hidden message in that comment, clearly. But um, what is your favorite book of all time? I've thought about that too. It's hard to pick one. It's hard to pick one. But if I were to pick one, out of all time, it will actually be this book about serial killer. Hmm. It's called Death is Not the End, Daddy. It's for free on Amazon. Hmm. And it's from a, it's, of course, it's coming from a Christian standpoint, but it's a story about a serial killer and it's probably one of the best Christian fiction books out there. But because it talks about serial killer and it's from the mind of a serial killer, <laughs> you're like, how can this be Christian fiction, right? And that's what makes it brilliant. And I told the guy when, because uh, I had him on my show a couple years ago, I told him, I said, this is really the best book I've ever read in my life. Mm-hmm. It's so uplifting. You may say, really? But it's serial killers, right? <laughs> you know, but that's, you know, but he writes dark. He writes dark. And he actually inspired another story I'm working on. I haven't fixed the kinks up yet. And that's probably one of the best ones. It's called Death, Nothing, and Daddy. And the other one was actually a kid's story that I read when I was a kid. And this is before Harry Potter. It's called Witch, Witch. And it's a kid's story. And I recently read it again. It was written back in 1979. I read it again. And it was still funny, still hysterical. Hysterical. Like this is before Harry Potter. And it's not, a, it doesn't read like, it's, it reads like a regular book, you know, but back in the day, you know, you know how now they, they don't have like cigarettes and smoking and books where back in the day, no one had that type of, <laughs> that type of censorship, you know? And so there's like, you know, the guy smoking a cigarette or pipe or whatever. And it's a kid's book and it's the funniest book I have ever read in my life. <laughs> and so those two, I know we got horror and a kid's book, but you asked. So that's like my, my, thing there and then of course um i have a dozen romance novels that i can't even begin to tell you which one <laughs> so okay well since you gave me two answers you're gonna have to give me two answers on the next one as mm-hmm. well <clears throat> you read the um uh, death is not the end daddy mm-hmm. and which which what spoke to mm-hmm. your soul in reading those books no death not the end daddy spoke to my soul but which which tickles my funny bone <laughs> it tickles my funny bone it really does and uh uh, I love people who make me laugh. That is the most attractive quality in a person. I'm not talking about mean laughing. I'm talking just, you know, people make you laugh and people can laugh at themselves. I laugh at myself all the time. Um, but uh, that tickled my funny bone. But that's not the end. Daddy really tickled my, uh, my sense of who God is. 
and that there is any there is no heart too dark that God can't reach and that was okay and I told the guy I said dude it's really good and he was like you really think so Parker see every writer has the that um what do you call it uh Tracy um nervousness um self-doubt everyone has it yeah absolutely it doesn't matter if you got a hundred books or one (laughs) (laughs) absolutely absolutely and and something that I think we all contend with some people hide it well others readily expose it and then you have the people that fall somewhere in the middle yeah so um nervousness self-doubt all of that um I call that out (laughs) that's what we're trying to do now what are you currently reading Parker what am I currently reading uh what am I reading? I am reading. I'm actually looking at my Kindle right now to see it because I have like, you know, you have like a bunch of books on here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm actually reading a mermaid story hmm. uh, about these uh, killer mermaids or something. No, they're not killer mermaids. They're um, just crazy mermaid. Crazy. Um, Till Human Voices Awake Us. That's what it's called. And oh. it's about a, it's by an author named um, C.S. Johnson. Hmm. I will show you the cover real quickly. And basically I read the prequel and the prequel leads up to this book and it's such a good book and i love this particular author's um her writing she writes very very well mm-hmm. and i always say i wish i could write like you <laughs> i tell her because she she goes but parker i wish the same thing about you i said no i have nothing on you so this is the cover that's the cover it's called till human voices wake us nice and okay. it's a sci-fi fantasy but it's kind of dark Mm-hmm. Um, because like I said, these, these mermaids are crazy. This is not Ariel. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> there's no, a uh, whole new world. There's none of that happening. <laughs> it's a whole new world with a knife, you know, hanging over you about to kill you. So, <laughs> that's the one. so yeah, cool. that's what I'm reading right now. All right. I might have to check that out. A couple of books I need to add to my, uh, to be read list. Mm-hmm. Uh, Parker, is there anything else specific you want to tell your current readers or your future readers? um my hopefully my current readers know I am expanding my palette a little bit um so there are going to be a couple of works that um I'm going to be uh pushing the envelope a little bit more in my creativity um writing different genres doing that to my future readers I hope you like everything I write (laughs) I hope so awesome awesome well you know I certainly appreciate you joining us thank you so much now lastly please tell us how can we stay up to date with Parker J. Cole just go to parkerjcole.com. Simple. Okay. Keep it simple. <laughs> okay. Well, again, I certainly enjoyed myself. This has been wonderful. Uh, be on the lookout for my review for the Butterscotch Fry. And I um, anticipate your uh, January release. I'm looking forward to it and everything else you have in the works. Oh, thank you so much, Tracy, for, first of all, giving me your platform so I could talk about my books and myself as an author. I'm always on the other side of the mic, so it's different to be on this side of the mic. So I appreciate you taking time to uh, host me. Really love it. And um, please continue doing what you're doing. We need more out there just to keep showcasing authors of every ilk out there. And I really sincerely appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's certainly been a pleasure. And to my listeners, as always, happy reading, and I will catch you guys next time. Bye. Bye.